for them right now like they did in the Old Testament. Give them a wave offering. Just because you're good. Just because you're holy. Just because you brought me through. Oh, Lord, it was only you who brought me over. Lord, it was only you who brought me around. Lord, it was just you who, who brought me over. It was only you who brought me out. Oh, God, had it not been you on my side, where would I be? Had he not, had he not, and this is why we are in this place. We didn't just come here because we ain't had nothing else better to do. We showed up because his glory was going to be in this place when we gathered together. Because he said when the, the praises of his people go up, his blessings and his spirit come down. I just dare you to, to, to seek a breakthrough in your situation just by praising the name of God, blessing him because of who he is. Just bask in his glory. Won't you pray? Father God, you are good. You are faithful. And we thank you right now for being in this place. For, Father, you are with your people, the church, whenever we gather. And, Father, we have looked forward to this moment. Father, some of us came through broken. Some of us showed up dragging. Lord, the, the issues of life and the circumstances have been heavy on our back. But, Father, you allowed us to come to your house of worship one more time. So, Father, while we're here in this place, in your presence, I ask that you would come and meet us and show yourself and your glory in a special and mighty way. For, Father, when your people gather together, things happen. And in the name of Jesus, situations and circumstances change. And, Father, as we have gathered in this place, I pray that strongholds would be broken in this place. I pray that chains would be broken in this place. I pray that deliverance will happen in this place. I pray that transformation will take place in this place. I pray that help and hope will come forth in this place. Father, I pray that healing would come forth in this place and that you would be glorified above all things, dear God, because you and you alone are worthy of our praise. So, Father, we pause to say thank you for who you are and for where you have brought us. And, Father, I ask that you would please meet us in this place and teach us through your word that we would see Jesus. Father, you have your way. Please take my weak and foolish words to make much of Christ and Christ alone. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Well, praise God. I welcome each and every one of you to this church gathered at Forest Baptist. So good to be back home. Thank you.
uh, thank you for your prayers. And uh, as we have uh, traveled up to Michigan to visit some family, and I had the opportunity to preach at uh, the church we came out of, Middle Belt Baptist, there in Inkster, Michigan, and it was a wonderful time. So uh, I'm grateful to Pastor Jason Towns, who did a wonderful job for us, and I continue to thank uh, Brother Michael McGee as the Lord continues to strengthen him and move in his heart as he is exercising his gift of preaching and teaching. Amen. Well, family, let's go ahead and get to it. We got a lot before us today, and I pray that uh, today that we will we would really hear the voice of Christ because I believe that God has a word for us today. And I was excited to get into this word. And even as I was considering this word, I was thinking about uh, all that has been taking place in our world, and we know that so much has been taking place, and we know that uh, so much is out of our control, and uh, as, as the eyes of this nation look to Washington to, to fix this and to fix that, uh, one of the things that we see taking place is that uh, the, the national debt is increasing and the consumer debt is increasing. All this debt is increasing. And many of us here knows what it feels like to be in debt. Lord, while in college, I incurred quite a bit of credit card debt. And I remember that even though the Lord had blessed me with a a, a pretty good job. I, I felt like I was still struggling because of all that debt and paying all those bills. Uh, as a matter of fact, one record says that consumer debt has reached an all-time high of $14.9 trillion here in the United States. That's a lot of debt. That's a lot of weight. That's a lot of uh, money that needs to be paid back. Those are mortgages, those are car payments, those are credit cards, those are loans. All of these things have, have to be paid back as we have incurred so much debt. You know, and at some point, all of that debt has to be paid. But wouldn't it be amazing if all the world's billionaires just felt altruistic and benevolent and decided to come together and pool their unlimited resources in order to pay off things and to forgive all our debt. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Like, hallelujah, that's like a college student uh, having their college loans forgiven, just that, that wave offering to the Lord, hallelujah. That would be amazing. But you know what? There's another type of debt that continues to grow at a record pace in this nation. And this is our national debt of sin. As a nation, we continue to incur deeper and deeper sin debt before a holy and righteous God. As we look over the landscape of our nation, we see sin has, is, is just permeating and has proliferated uh, to to. to, to, to to, to levels um, that we may not have seen in our lives before. It's always been there, but it's, it's exposing itself in new ways. And it seems that every single day when we turn on the radio, when we see a alert on our phone, when we look at the news, 
some type of sin is, is taking place, whether it's, it's homicides and theft and it's just all kinds of uh, pillaging and, and all types of chaos, it seems that we are just incurring more and more debt before a holy and righteous God. And then because of that sin debt that we continue to incur before a holy and righteous God, not only are we increasing in sin towards God, we are further increasing in sin towards one another. You see it in the animosity, the conflict, the chaos, the anger, the rage, the outrage that we have towards one another in our society. And beloved, and unfortunately, that type of outrage is not only taking place in the world, but that outrage takes place in the church of Jesus Christ. But just like our consumer debt, at some point our sin debt needs to be paid too. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if someone was rich enough to do something to forgive our sin debt? Beloved, our Sin debt is drawn down not through a financial rescue pack, package, but through the spiritual rescue provided by the blood of Jesus Christ alone. And because of the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, our sin debt can be paid, completely forgiven. Turn with me this morning in your Bibles to Matthew, the 18th chapter, as we continue to walk through the book of Matthew Matthew, the 18th chapter, we'll be looking at verses 21 through 35. 21 through 35. Here, Jesus gives such an important teaching. And my prayer is that we will heed his words. Matthew, the 18th chapter, beginning with the 21st verse. If you are able, uh, please stand with me in honor of the reading, the word of God. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or your text may say it seven times 70. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, 
And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Lord, a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Just like to speak on the subject this morning, a framework for forgiveness. A framework for forgiveness. This understanding, this notion of forgiveness in and of itself is a is a deeply Christian work. Forgiveness is antithetical to all that is in the world and all that this world holds dear. It is the complete opposite of of how people expect you to act when someone has sinned against you. As a matter of fact, we we ride through town and we see bumper stickers and, and tags that say, and you can, you, you can finish this because you, are, you already know. I don't get mad. I get, ah, you already know. I don't get mad. I just get even. And that is the way that the world functions. But forgiveness is something deeply Christian because it comes from Jesus Christ himself. But in this world, it would seem that We aren't to forgive anyone if they do something to have wronged us, and that leads to so much pain and strife. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness, resentment, anger, unkindness, and despair. But beloved, as Christians, I propose to you another way. I propose to you another way that Jesus says that will give you life and that much more abundantly. I propose a way that will fill you with joy and bring reconciliation to relationships you thought were done and gone. A uniquely Christian way. A big idea for today is simply Christians prove they belong to Jesus when they forgive just as they have been forgiven. Christians prove they belong to Jesus when they forgive just as they have been forgiven. And because we have been so um, confused, indoctrinated by the world, we have to take a step back to think about what forgiveness really is. Some definitions of what forgiveness is means uh, to to release from legal or moral obligation or consequences, to let go, release, or remit, a debt paid or canceled, pardon for a fault or offense, to excuse from payment for a debt owed. That's what it means to offer forgiveness. So what I want to do this morning, I, I want to do two things. And I would like to approach the text this way. First, I want to walk through this text to make sure we understand what Jesus is saying. And what I love about this text is really, it's really not much for me to explain because Jesus lays it out pretty plainly. But as I walk through that, I know many questions about what Jesus is saying will bubble up in your mind. So the second part, I, I want to take some time to 
discuss the implications and application of forgiveness through a series of questions, all right? So let's dig into the text. So here in verse 21 of the 18th chapter, Jesus has just finished instructing uh, his disciples on the process of how to seek reconciliation from a brother or sister who has sinned against you in the body of Christ, right? So in verses uh, 15 through 18, this is what Jesus is talking about. How do you approach someone who has sinned against you? What is the steps? Uh, what is the biblical process? Do you just go off on them as soon as they offend you? No. There's something that we need to walk through. He just, he just given them that instruction, Having given instructions for the offender, what, what do you do with the offender? Jesus now turns his attention to the offended. And in doing so, Peter asked that timeless question. How many times am I supposed to forgive somebody? Jesus has equipped his disciples with power to pursue relational reconciliation in the church. And now Peter asked that question. Lord, how often? Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? So right here, what, what Peter is actually doing, he's actually being generous. He's actually being thoughtful. From our perspective, we, don't, we can't really tell what's going on, but what Peter is actually doing is opposite to what the world would have been doing in that day. See, the Pharisees had a rabbinic tradition that a person was uh, forgivable for up to three times for offense. There was a limited number of times that you would forgive a person, and their rationale was that if a person needed more than three times to get it right, then they ain't serious about asking for forgiveness. And some of y'all are like, yeah, mm-hmm, amen, Pharisees. But it's interesting because Peter says seven times. I believe in a almost like a religious type feel, uh, Peter is suggesting a way of being compassionate by saying the number seven, which would be completeness. He is arguing that if you are able to forgive a person up to seven times, I mean, that's, that's a complete work. That's generous. That, that is well above the limited number of times that someone would need to be forgiven, right? But what does Jesus say? Jesus does what Jesus does, and he takes it to another level and gives greater insight, and he gives Peter a divine insight and understanding to what it means to forgive, and Jesus says to Peter, I do not say to you, it, remember, I, when, when Jesus points back to himself, he's saying, I, I, me, the one with all authority, not the Pharisees, not the religious folks, not those church folks but me. Not what you heard because you grew up in, at the synagogues. Not what they said to you down the road. Not what you've seen in your house. I, what I say. Because there is a difference between sometimes, not, I mean, not, all, not, not this church, I'm just saying churches in general. There, sometimes there's a difference between how you act and how Jesus wants you to act. I'm just saying, not us. So Jesus is saying, understand, this is what I say. And he gives Peter his divine standard for forgiveness. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. 
Or like I said, your text may say seven times 70. What Jesus is actually doing, in laying out that number, he's not saying that you are to put a check mark on your wall every time you forgive somebody. What Jesus is actually saying, you are to actually forgive them an unlimited number of times. So what Jesus is saying in verses 21 and 22, ultimately, a Christian should forgive without limits. Christian forgiveness should be unlimited. Simple as that. Track with me over to Luke, the 17th chapter. Luke, the 17th chapter. Jesus, this is like a, a, a parallel account uh, with some information that is not in Matthew, but in Luke, the 17th chapter, in verse 3 and in verse 4, Jesus is again speaking to his disciples, and he says, pay attention to yourselves. Worry about yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you, watch this, seven times in the day, seven times the same day, y'all be like, I, I forgave you back in, 1983 at 4 o'clock. You want more forgiveness? No, Jesus is like the same day and turns to, you say, uh, turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So that's clear. A Christian should forgive without limits. I, I can't add anything to that. When a person sins against you and then comes back to ask for forgiveness, a Christian is to forgive. The only caveat that I would even dare put on this is I fully understand that sometimes the hurt is so bad that it's going to take some time. But taking some time and staying there is two different things. Consider this, Joseph and his brothers. I don't know if any of y'all went through what Joseph went through. Joseph being the favorite child, he was a little puffed up, a little, a little arrogant. Uh, God gave him a vision of how he would actually rule over his entire family. And he tells his brothers, and like, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to rule over y'all. One of the worst things a younger brother can say to an older brother. They devise a scheme and they... Uh, at first, they was going to kill Joseph, but then they decided to throw him in a pit. They sell him off into slavery. In slavery, he languishes. He's, he's purchased by, uh, by a family, he's and then he's serving in that family. God gives him success, and then uh, Potiphar's wife accuses, falsely accuses him of rape. He's thrown in jail, wrongly convicted, and he's languishing in jail, and, and everyone's forgot about him, but the Lord gives him uh, favor and he rises up and then uh, he's forgotten about again and then he comes before the kings. So he has lived a life filled with suffering of not of his own doing. Because some of our suffering is because of our own doing. But Joseph had, his brothers was just mad at him. And ultimately the story ends in Genesis the 50th chapter. Uh, his father Israel J Jacob Israel has died, 
And all the brothers are scared now because they think that because their father has died, now Joseph is going to get revenge for what he did, what they did to him. And they come to his, they, the brothers come to Joseph and say, hey, dad's, before dad died, he said you should forgive us. So, so please forgive us. And what does Joseph do? The famous quote, what you meant for evil, God used for good. And he forgave them. The same thing with the prodigal son and the father. The prodigal son tells his father disrespectfully, give me my inheritance now. I ain't going to wait for you to die. I want my money now. The father gives him the money. He goes and wastes all the money on all his pleasures, and he's broken in despair. And uh, the text doesn't say just exactly how long he was out there, but eventually he comes back. And, it's, it, and instead of the father running out him saying, I told you so, if you just would have listened to me, you wouldn't have get into all this mess in the first place. The father just opens up his arms and embraces him in love and welcomes him back. The son is like, Father, forgive me. Just treat me like a servant. He says, no, you're not a servant, but you're my son. Forgiveness from a Christian should be freely given to those who repent. Forgiveness is not a, 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 a record to be tracked. You don't get to try to one-up one another. Well, I forgave you because you didn't. Oh, well, I forgave you because you didn't. Nope. A Christian should always be willing to forgive. But then secondly, a Christian should forgive because they have been forgiven. Simple as that. And what does Jesus do? Jesus begins to tell the story, this analogy of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in this, in this parable, of course, the king is, is Jesus himself. The servants are his disciples. And the, the, the debt or the talents, the denarii, are their, their sin debt. And what, and what Jesus walks them through is a circumstance where this all-powerful king is bringing all of his servants before him because it's time to settle accounts. They have been doing business on his behalf. Now it's time to bring in what, uh, uh, what you're supposed to bring to the king. And as they're coming before the king, one comes and has been so foolish with the, uh, what he was given, has been such a terrible steward, now he owes 10,000 talents. Let me, let's put that in perspective just a little bit. A talent wasn't just like a coin or something. A talent was a unit of measurement, and it was usually used to measure silver. And what one talent was equal to? One talent was equal to 6,000 denarii. What's a denarii? A denarii is what was a day's wages. So especially if you're hourly, and you go to work and you come home, you, you could kind of figure out how much money you made for that day, right? This is what he's saying. So that money you were making a day is called a denarii. One talent is worth 6,000 of those. So for this servant to owe 10,000 talents, he actually owes 60 million days of work. 60 million days of wages. And because of this incredible, enormous debt, the king is outraged and says, you know what? Get his children, get his family. We're going we're to sell them, and we, we ain't going to be able to cover it. We're just going to uh, get, get some money back. But 
what does the servant do? He begs and pleads for his life and for his family's life. Please, I will pay you back. He knows he can't pay that back. He'll never be able to pay that back. The king knows he'll never be able to pay him back. Everybody knows, and they're looking like, I wonder what's going to happen. Y'all know how y'all be. It's an argument in the house. You just kind of sit like, I wonder what's going to happen. And they like, they, I wonder what's going to happen. And then he comes up, and then the king, out of his pity for him, his mercy, his compassion, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. What? All that 60 million days, the king is willing just to write it off and you go on your way. It seemed like that servant will go off with a heart filled with joy because of what the king did for him, but it's quite the opposite because that servant immediately, the text says, as soon as he goes out, he sees another servant who owes him some money. And this particular servant uh, uh, only owes him 100 denarii. Now, that's, that's significant because that's 100 days of work. But that's possible, right? That's, that's possible. He seizes him and chokes him and says, pay me what you owe me. Give me my money. But that servant says, I don't have it. I, I'll pay you back. And he, he may have. You probably could. But the servant says no, throws him in jail. Now watch this. I think this is one of the keys in the text I want to bring out. And verse 31 says, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, beloved, when we refuse to forgive people, our witness is put on display. When we forgive, when we, when, we, when we walk in unforgiveness, we are actually saying something about the king. Because they immediately go back and tell the king what has taken place, and now the king summons them back. And, and the king says, uh, uh, you, you have revealed who you really are on the inside. You wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt. Verse 32 because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Because you have been forgiven a great amount, shouldn't you be willing to forgive somebody else? Don't you realize there's no comparison but, but, uh, uh, about what I've forgiven you and what you need to forgive? And because of his wickedness, the king says, throw him in jail. And this jail is just a metaphor for eternal damnation in hell. Because what does Jesus say in verse 35? Jesus says in verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your hearts. Jesus is literally saying, if you can't forgive other people when they ask for forgiveness, you go into hell. That's a hard word. This is Jesus' words. Because what Jesus is saying, if you refuse to forgive those seeking your forgiveness, you prove not to belong to me anyway. A failure to forgive is a failure to recognize God's grace in your own life. 
had it not been for the Lord on your side, where would you be? He, this servant should have been like the woman in Luke 7 who came to Jesus, that sinful woman. The text says this woman who had many sins came in while Jesus was eating with the Pharisees. And while Jesus was eating with the Pharisees, she began to just to cry over him and weep over him and began to take her hair and, and to wash his feet with her tears. And then she uh, anointed him with a fragrance and she appreciated Jesus. And, and the religious folk just stood back like, don't Jesus know who she is? She used to be out there on the block. Don't, don't, they, don't, don't he know he shouldn't be hanging around her? But Jesus says to them, he flips the script. He says, when I came up in here, y'all didn't even wash my feet. Look what she has done. Let me ask, then he turns to Simon. He says, Peter, let me ask you a question. If, 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 if someone owed his master uh, uh, like 10 denarii uh, or 5,000 denarii but was forgiven, which one of those servants you think would be more appreciative? And then uh, uh, Simon Peter says, the one who owed the most. And then Jesus finishes this illustration out by saying, one who has been forgiven much loves much. One who forgives little, one who loves little has been forgiven little. You know what Jesus is saying? When you really realize just how dirty you were, when you realize just how wicked and deceitful, and, how, and how, how sharp your tongue has been. When you realize just that, that really you come from the gutter and you ain't nothing when it comes to Jesus. When, when you begin to realize, uh, like, like Brother McGee talked about, who is man that you're mindful of us? The God of the universe, the one that said let there be and it was, the one who always was, the first cause, cause, the preeminent, the sovereign one, the king of kings and the lord of lords. Why would he ever be mindful of little old me. When you realize the depth of your sin but the height of his glory, then you can actually appreciate what he's done for you and love him much. But you know what? It's those religious folks who think they was, they was saved from the womb anyway. I ain't did nothing to nobody my whole life. I always went to church and I don't do this and I don't do that. Yeah. Keep lying to yourself. That's why you love Jesus little, because you don't think you needed his forgiveness in the first place. you like, I got this religion thing. I, I, I got this thing. I, I know to talk. I know to walk. I got the wardrobe, and people just know I'm saved, sanctified, and set apart. But Jesus don't care what you look like on the outside. He cares who you are on the inside. Time and time again, Jesus is saying, forgive one another, forgive one another. In the Lord's pr prayer, Father, forgive us of our debts, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, I don't have time to, to I'm going to read one. I'm just going to read Ephesians now, I like the Colossians. I'm going to read Colossians 3, 13. Uh, he says here, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, you got a problem with somebody? If you got a problem with somebody, forgiving each other, 
as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. If there's any place in the world that should be filled with folks who know how to forgive, it should be the church. But beloved, I'm sorry to say, quite often it's the church that's the most unforgiving place that you can show up. You can, you can go to your job late. You can turn in bad work. You can do bad homework. You, and, and you ask your boss and your teacher for forgiveness. They Okay, you come to the church. You got on the wrong color shoes. People talking about you till next week. Not this church. Not this church. It's simple as that. Simple as that. A Christian should forgive without limits, and a Christian should forgive because they have been forgiven. What does this mean? Three questions I want to walk through. The first question is, so who should I forgive? Beloved, in Matthew 12, we see that there is only one unforgivable sin. The only unforgivable sin is the one who denies the power of the Holy Spirit to save. The only unforgivable sin is the one who rejects Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior ultimately. That's the only unforgivable sin. Anything else can be forgiven. Anything else could be forgiven. And though I could argue that the unsaved really don't understand forgiveness, Christians are still to forgive anyone, anyone, anyone who asked for forgiveness. But y'all didn't want that question. Y'all want this question. Should I or can I forgive someone who, who doesn't ask for forgiveness? That's what y'all really want to know. And in this, there's, there seems to be two streams of thought within the Christian community. One stream of thought is that you always forgive no matter what. No matter what happened, you always forgive. And then, but on the other side of it, it's this one called forbearance. It's that you hold off forgiveness with a, a heart willing to forgive until that person actually comes and asks for forgiveness, until that person actually repents. So you got always or maybe. I, that's always confused me. And I was grateful that the Lord brought me to this text this week because I had some stuff to figure out for myself. And what I believe the Lord has done in my heart was give a middle way that I want to share with you. So I want to give you a rubric, a, a layout of how to walk through this, of this middle way. And the first thing, when you think about should I or c can you forgive someone who has sinned against you but haven't asked for forgiveness, the first thing I want you to ask yourself is, have I actually been sinned against? Why do I say that? In verse, in, in, up a few verses, Matthew 18, chapter, verse 15, it says, if your brother sins against you, go. So if you have actually been sinned against, that is so key. Because I would argue 95% of our arguments and dysfunction, it ain't from sin. It's because of preference. 
Beloved, let me break it down like this. All of us, all of I don't care who you are, how sweet you think you are, we all, because we're sinners saved by grace, we have these little bitty kingdoms that we rule over. We have the throne. We are kings and queens of our kingdom. But what happens is, as my kingdom interacts with your kingdom, in my kingdom, I have certain rules in my kingdom. And if you don't follow my rules of my kingdom, then I get mad and I cast judgment on you and that something should happen to you. But if you come against my little kingdom and break one of my rules, then you need to be punished because you broke one of my rules. But the problem is, we all walk around here with these kingdoms and don't nobody know your rules. Just a little example. I ain't talking to nobody. I ain't heard this from nobody. So something like, do you know they came in my house and didn't even speak? That's a preference. There's nowhere in the text of Scripture that says somebody got to speak to you when they come in your house. Ultimately, what these rules of our kingdom it's, it's just pride, and we think we're more than what we are, and, people, and, we, and we think people just supposed to respect us. So before you, you get upset, before you get mad at somebody, have they actually sinned against you, or have they just broke one of your personal rules? 95%, I guarantee you, 95% of issues in the church and issues in the world would die if we would just die to ourselves. Secondly, no, have I actually been sinned against? Secondly, do they know they have sinned against me? I'm going to go back up to Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go to him and tell him his fault. Some of y'all, not this church, some folks mad at people right now, and they and the person you mad at don't even know you mad at them. They don't even know what they've done. They having a good day. They smiling, going about their business. They ain't thinking about it. You upset, frowning, pouting. They don't even know you mad at them. So if that person has sinned against you, the Bible says, pray, pray for Christian courage. Because some of us, we just don't like conflict. But the Lord wants us to press into conflict because it's an opportunity to grow. So what God actually wants us to do is depend upon him, lean on him in order to have the strength and the energy to go to actually gently, graciously, Speak to your brother or sister and tell them how they have. Now, watch this. Sinned against you. Sinned against you. All right? But then thirdly, so th this is the rule, biggest. Have they sinned against me? Do they even know? And then fourthly, have I been genuinely hurt or just offended? And what I mean by this is, there are some genuine hurts that needs to be dealt with, and we're going to talk about that. But is this, is this something that you, you, just, you just offended? They called you by the wrong name. Y'all was in the same room. They didn't speak. They took your parking spot. They in your chair. It's like, are you, are you offended? 
They squeeze the toothpaste from the middle and not the bottom. They don't take out the trash exactly when you say so. Your meal ain't cooked when you get home and you've been working 10-hour shifts. Because in that case, 1 Peter 4 and 8 tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. You need to exercise love. I need to exercise love. All right, here we go. So what do you do? You, you, you check those boxes. Okay, yes, they sinned against me. I've told them. They act like they just don't care. And this is, this is a big deal. They, they have really hurt me. Love the unrepentant like an enemy and entrust them to the Lord. This is what I mean. I'm going to say that again. Love the unrepentant like an enemy and entrust them to the Lord. So love the unrepentant like an enemy. I'm picking that up from Matthew 5. Turn with me to Matthew 5. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning with the 43rd verse, Jesus, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So a neighbor will be someone you're reconciled to, and an enemy will be someone that you're not reconciled to. So that's why we're saying an enemy. But then he goes on to say, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is saying Christians have a way of life that they're actually able to love their enemies even though their enemies have hurt them. And the reason we can declare them an enemy is because we are not reconciled. But I love my enemy and entrust them to the Lord. I'm picking that up for Romans, the 12th chapter. Turn with me to Romans, the 12th chapter. And as Paul is laying out, you know, the marks of a Christian, Mark, uh, Romans, the 12th chapter, beginning with the ninth verse, he's laying out marks of a true Christian. He says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Here we go, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, 
but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, this is the key, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. You, I, ain't, I, ain't, I ain't murder nobody for for being mean to me, you ain't murdered them with a weapon, but you've been murdering them with your mouth, you've been murdering them with your eyes, you've been murdering murder them with how you treat them. See, revenge is not just you scratch my car, I scratch your car. Uh, revenge is you offended me, so now I'm going to treat you differently. You've hurt my feelings, so now I'm going to attack you in a passive-aggressive way so you can feel how much I'm mad at you. It may show up in different ways. You, you used to cook, you just stopped cooking. You used to take out the trash, you done stopped taking out the trash. You used to sleep in the bed together, now y'all sleeping on the couch. It happens in ways that may not end up with a bloody knife, but you feel with a sinful heart. Love the unrepentant like an enemy and entrust them to the Lord. So what you actually do is you actually begin to pray for those who have hurt you. Father, it, 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 so I believe here, this is almost like those imprecatory prayers that David used to pray. People, people talk, have told me that we shouldn't pray them imprecatory prayers. I'm like, I don't know. Because he was praying I think him praying them prayers kept him from doing what he wanted to do to some folks. So, so, so sometimes we just got to pray about, not sometimes, we have to pray about these things. We actually have to depend upon, come on, y'all. We trying to be Christian without being Christian. You trying to live a Christian life without prayer, without the Bible, without the fellowship of the saints. You trying to be Christian without the means of grace to help you be a Christian. That's why this stuff is foreign. You mean pray for them? Do you know what they said about Do you know what they did? Jesus says pray for them. You don't believe me? Jesus held high stress. Why? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus is not invoking the forgiveness of sin at that moment. He's saying, my Lord, please keep this sin from preventing them from hearing about you. Stephen, getting stoned. Father, have, have somebody physically stoned you? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. That is the extension of a bridge for reconciliation. I'm not, I, I won't be able to be exhaustive. We got to get out of here. My third point was to simply, is Jesus saying I should forgive and forget? 
the one may be forgiven, there's still, well, the one may be forgiven, Jesus is not calling us to forget. In the sense of human beings, we can't forget. But he calls us to press into him for healing. To depend, this is an opportunity to depend on Jesus. Lord, help me to get through this, to get past this, to suffer in the midst of this because I can't. And hear this. Though one may be forgiven, there still may be earthly consequences. So when you say forgive and forget, you're not saying if there's consequences to be had, don't, don't press charges. If they committed a crime, press charges. But have a heart that's willing to forgive your enemy. Love them, pray for them, and entrust them to the Lord. But then also, what, that, what, what this really means is that we can have the heart posture, that we can stand before someone who has harmed us and say, I want you to know that I am willing to forgive you for how you sinned against me. Beloved, there's that quote that says, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Are you holding unforgiveness in your heart towards one who, who's asked for forgiveness? Does your unforgiveness cause you to take revenge? Is your unforgiveness keeping the door to reconciliation closed? If we're ambassadors of reconciliation, how can we close those doors? So, beloved, you may have some people that you need to go to. To let them know what's going on. To let them know why you haven't called them all of a sudden. Why, why you stopped texting them all of a sudden. But then also, you may have some people you need to repent to. And when you go to, I could do a, I, I could do a whole other sermon on how to repent right. <laughs> because we don't, we don't do that either. We do stuff like, uh, if, I, if I offended you, sorry. You know, I'm sorry I did that, but. Let me just give you that. When you apologize, never say but. You just blew the whole apology. Accept your responsibility. I'm going to move on. I digress. The pain caused by sin is real. The hurt is real. The anger is real. I am not minimizing that at all. But I want all of us to know that God has called us to a different standard than the world. And forgiveness may and will take time. What Jesus is saying to us today is what he said in Luke, the first chapter, verse 37. He is simply saying, for nothing will be impossible with God. You think you can't forgive them, but nothing is impossible with God. You think that they can never forgive you, but nothing is impossible with God. The same one who secured forgiveness for those who would repent and trust in him is the same one who empowers forgiveness through his resurrection power. So when we say look to Jesus and live, today I say look to Jesus and begin to live a life of forgiveness in order that that bitterness, anger, and wrath, so you can actually let that go and begin to live the life that Jesus has called you to live.
Christians prove they belong to Jesus when they forgive just as they have been forgiven. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that you tell us the truth. Thank you that you hold us to this truth. If you didn't, it would be just like everyone else. But Lord, you say we are a peculiar people who've been set apart for your purposes. So Father, because we're different, we have to function differently. Thank you for your spirit that empowers us to live differently. May the world look at us and say, how are they able to? And we just say, because of what you have done. So Father, may we leave this place and be witnesses for you. Father, I pray that someone was freed up today. I pray that someone will be able to move from, from the, uh, the, 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 the sin of unforgiveness where Satan has them. And, and we know your word declares that Satan only wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He is stealing their joy. He is killing their hopes. And he's destroying their life. But you have come to give us life more abundantly. Lord, help us to embrace you that we would live this life filled with joy and abundance because we, as you have forgiven us, we can forgive others. Father, help us. We need you. We can't do this, but you can. In the mighty name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen.